Welcome. Welcome to the Portrait on Firefall Talk Radio. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basics, the example of the Book of Acts Church. Following their example, we find the church the Lord intended, not the one that man created. We believe that the fire of the upper room still burns. It's available to everyone who seeks it. The porch was inspired back in uh, January of 2000 to restore the priesthood of the believer and to study the book of Acts to follow their example and regain the world-shaking influence that the early church had. The porch has been on the air since March of 2010, and it can only be heard on Firefall Talk Radio. Wherever you're listening from, we welcome you. If you have any questions, go to firefalltalkradio.com, use the contact button, or you can write us directly at the porch, lowercase one word, at firefalltalkradio.com. If you have a need, prayer request, praise report, Anything you need or would like to share, send it to us. If you're a part of the Porch community, you already know that, and I get your praise reports and prayer requests. If you are not and you'd like to be, let us know. Plug in. We're here every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. live. You can listen to us archived on many different places. Spreaker, Blog Talk, Podbean. Um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. All these different places you can listen to the Word, an unfiltered, non-watered-down Word, and we would be glad to have you. If you want to support us, go to FirefallTalkRadio.com. There are ways to do that. Just give us the Lord leads. If you don't want to be a part of the porch community, you're just here for the Bible study. Well, that'll pick up right after the sound of the shofar. But before then, we do praise reports and prayer requests. This week, I'm going to share some thoughts and insights the Lord has given to me. But before I do that, I want to tell you that I'm catching up on the videos for the porch. Three will be done this week, two already up in the porch folder on Vimeo. If you're a part of the community, you have access to that folder. But in working on these three Bible studies this week, I can see when the fatigue got the better of me and became a hindrance. I want to thank you for not letting it distract you from the Word, and to thank you for your patience. We're still in process, getting better every day. So I guess that's both a praise report and a prayer request, and that's how we start. Praise Him for my salvation. You might say, why do you do this every week? Well, it's a new day. It's a new time that I'm coming into His presence to share with you the Word. And that's how we do it. Praise Him for my salvation. Without that, I don't have anything. I don't have my wife. I don't have my sons. I don't have daughter-in-laws. I don't have a grandchild, a grandson who we love very much. I don't have furry kids. I don't have anything. And I definitely don't have a future, an eternity with him. So I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for all the things I just mentioned, for him giving them back to me. And in the process, giving me so much more. Thankful that he allows me to work for him in the family business. And do what I do every week with you. And also along with what I do with SRT and 
firefall. I praise him for that, for the provisions and the protection, for the dreams and the visions, for his healing virtues and divine health, which we started out by talking about. I praise him for favor, divine abiding favor, each and every day, for the continuing revelation of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, for making me a new creation and allowing me access to the throne room so that I can pray. We pray first for the peace of Jerusalem, Psalm 122, verse 6. We do what the Word says. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. I love Israel. I love my Jewish brothers and sisters, so I pray for them every day. I pray for America. I pray for God's grace to return, his favor to return, and for him to fix what needs to be fixed to tear down, root up, and rebuild. Prayers for this world. Leaders everywhere that have gotten out of control, have forgotten who they serve, I pray that they would wake up. I pray that the fatherless and the widows, the persecuted and the martyred, the poor in spirit, the innocents, those who are Victims of of misjustice, I'm sorry, I got a little distracted there. I tend to visualize what I say, and I began to see it. People being mistreated, injustice. You know what? There will only be justice when the Lord comes back. Right now we live in a world of extreme injustice on so many levels. The slaughter of the innocent, both in and out of the womb, both human and animal. I pray for missing and exploited children, that they would find their way home. That somebody would care enough to go find them and bring them home. I pray against those that do it. The the traffickers and those that harm God's creation. I pray against human trafficking, sex trafficking pray for our brothers and sisters all around the world, Jewish, Gentile, no matter what they are, they're being mistreated and they're being kicked out of their homes, their places of worship are being burned down, some are being murdered. That persecution, the anti-Semitism all reek of the spirit of the Antichrist. I hope every week with me you pray against that. I pray for our divine wholeness to return, healing, getting back to our divine design. Very difficult, as I mentioned, to serve him when you're dealing with health issues. But I will tell you this, no matter what, keep going. Don't let that hinder you. Of course, deal with your healing, deal with your health, do what you need to do. But you can pray, you can read, you can praise Don't let that stop you from feeding and exercising your spirit. For each and every person out there that are being healed, whether you're being healed in mind or body or soul or spirit, whatever it is, in Yeshua's name, be made whole. I pray for our divine protection, that Psalm 91 covering available to each and every one of us, that it be activated for divine inspiration, for the fire of the Holy Spirit to wake us up, the remnant to rise up, for the blessings to flow, 
for God to open the doors of, and give us favor that we can finish everything that he has ordained. He is faithful to complete the good work that he has begun in us. And we pray for our lost family members. What's the point if we're not doing the Great Commission with our own family? Leading them to the Lord, telling them the truth, making them disciples so that they can spend eternity with him, with you. The only other praise report, prayer request I have is from Kim in Fort Mitchell. And I appreciate the fact that no matter what, Kim, you stay plugged in, you stay accountable, and you share and you bless others. She's dealing with the sinus infection, as we all are, with this change in the weather. So she's trying to shake it off, getting better. She praises him for his love, his salvation, her recovery, and, of course, the fact that he loves her and the way he loves her. She's thankful for her children, her family, and his protection over them. She says, Father, please protect and favor my husband and mother as they travel to us this coming Saturday and Sunday. She's asking for divine favor in the legal matter that is continuing in Germany and the hardship that will come with it. She's asking for him to provide and to make it right. Keep my children safe, she says. Guide them in any way possible. Save souls. Heal my friend Ty to start her life over after getting out of an abusive marriage. Praying for protection over the porch families. Father, please heal my body, my mind, my, and my spirit in Jesus' name. Lord, we love you. I tell you that every day. You're all we have. That's it. That's the only thing of value we have in this world is you. The love we have from friends and family comes because of you. The roof over our heads, you. The air that we breathe, you. So basically, you are our all in all. So thank you. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for making a way when there was no way. Thank you for saving us for the cross, the empty tomb, the upper room, everything that you've done for us. We haven't done anything. Oh, we've, we, we've committed our lives to you, and we tell you that we love you, and we try to serve you, but that pales in comparison. So please, please tonight speak to us. Let these words come alive, Holy Spirit. Thank you for walking with us, teaching us, reminding us. Bless the technology. Bless our time. Clear our minds, Lord. We just pray protection over everything. Let the word go forth in Yeshua's name. If you agree, say amen.
lessons are proprietary information except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So we're getting closer to Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights, which, if you're keeping track, begins on November 28th. And during that time, the Lord brought illumination, but he brings illumination to us every day in our lives, both personally and corporately. I want to share something that the Lord showed me this week. To do that, we have to go to John chapter 8. So, open your Bibles, however you follow along. Now, verse 1 of John 8 is really the continuation of John 7. It says, Yeshua went to the Mount of Olives. This is after, uh, and I'll tell you later what it's after. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him. He sat down, and he taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded that such should be stoned. But what do you say? And this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Yeshua stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And he again stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Yeshua was left alone, and the woman standing in the mist, and when Yeshua raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Yeshua said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, I said this really began in chapter 7. See, in chapter 7, on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Lord revealed himself to the Pharisees. We'll pick that up in verse 37. And on the last day, the great day of the feast, Yeshua stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, with whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Yeshua was not yet glorified. The Nelson Study Bible says, On each day of the feast the people came with palm branches, and marched around the great altar. A priest took a golden pitcher filled with water from the pool of Siloam, carried it to the temple, and poured it on the altar as an offering to God. 
This dramatic ceremony was a memorial of the water that flowed from the rock when the Israelites traveled through the wilderness. On the last day of the feast, the people marched seven times around the altar in memory of the seven circuits around the walls of Jericho. Goes on to say, perhaps at this very moment, just as they were pouring the water on the altar, Yeshua's voice rang out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What he was saying is, What you're looking for isn't over there, it's right here. So that those that believe in him, out of them would flow living water filled with the Holy Spirit, so that both they would be satisfied and others would too. And the enemy wasted no time in testing the Lord. We're all tested by the enemy all the time. That's no surprise. But whenever you stand up, whenever you stand up for the Lord, whenever you stand up and speak the truth, whenever you speak the word, be prepared for the enemy to test you. So the next morning, while everyone else went to the comfort of their home, the Lord spent the night on the Mount of Olives, more than likely praying. And in the early morning at dawn, he got up and he went back to the temple. And the crowds that were there from the day before see that he's back at the temple. And he's pretty well known by this time, so they're curious as to what he might have to say. The Pharisees didn't like that. The scribes of the Sadducees, they didn't like that. So they figured they're going to test him. They're going to see if they can trip him up. And it says that he sat down. So that's a position that a teacher takes. So he's already in position to teach them a lesson. So here they come to disrupt the morning. And get taught that lesson. The religious spirit that they have and that I see a lot today, it's disruptive. It's destructive. And it's always trying to trip up those who want to walk in right relationship with the Lord. So the teachers of the religious law, the Jewish scholars, they specialized in knowing the Old Testament law and the oral traditions that interpreted the law. And in the form of the, the Greek sentences in a legal form, claiming that they believed that they had a legal claim against the woman. She had been literally caught in the act of adultery. But we have a problem. The law says two witnesses must appear, and they must carefully line out the evidence as needed. But the requirement of the law was to stone her, which means that the woman was engaged or married. But I want to read something to you, and I want to show you how the Pharisees had already tripped themselves up. Leviticus 20, verse 10, the man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. 
Deuteronomy 22, verses 23 and 24. If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband, and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry out in the city, and the young man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife, so you shall put this evil from among you. So the law says that both she and the lover should be stoned. Mm, Seems like they forgot something in their zeal to drag her in front of the Lord. And at this point, we don't know in what form of undress she's in because they caught her in the act. But they're already breaking the law. Where's the man that she was sleeping with? I've, I've read various takes on this story. That it was a setup. That he might even be in the crowd. I don't know. It doesn't say that, so I can't assume that. But what I can tell you very clearly is that this is what religion does. It accuses people in hypocrisy. They're publicly shaming her and hoping that they can do the same to Yeshua by asking him, what do you say? Would he neglect the law since he had a reputation for mercy and in doing so contradict the law and make himself out to be a false prophet? If he said to stone her, well, now he's run counter of Roman law, which does not permit the Jews to carry out their own execution. The enemy's trying to set him up, but it set himself up. The enemy, if you allow it to play out, will draw themselves into their own trap. But Yeshua's cool. He doesn't get up. He doesn't even acknowledge them except to look up after writing on the ground, and we don't know what he was writing. And he says, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. The Greek word without sin means sinless. Whichever one of you has never missed the mark or done something wrong, like not bringing the, the man along with her, And what he wrote has been a matter of conjecture. I've read a lot of different things. Some believe he was writing the Ten Commandments. Others suggest he was writing the law that they were themselves violating. Some suggest he was writing the sins of the accusers. I don't know. I'm going to kind of lean towards the law. And I'll explain why in a second. But the one thing he did was he gave us an example of how to deal with the enemy in these situations. He took time to think. He took time to hear from the Father as to what to do. Be slow to speak, slow to wrath. They were sinning. They saw her naked. They caught her in the act. They didn't bring the man with her. 
They're making an accusation not really for the sake of the law or their zeal for God, but to trip up Yeshua. Maybe they heard him the day before. Maybe they got offended that he interfered with the final day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the big event. I don't know. But what I do know, this is what the religious spirit does. They were breaking the law to accuse someone. Been in situations in churches, buildings, fellowships, denominations, where that spirit raises its head. And people become judgmental. They offer no grace. They become hypocrites. But the witnesses were key. Deuteronomy 17, 7. The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him put to death, and afterward the hands of all the people. So the first people that should have thrown those stones were the ones who witnessed her being caught in adultery. But they don't do that. They drop the stones from the oldest to the youngest. And what I got from that is the oldest would know the law better. They would know better that they had caught themselves in their own trap and walked away quickly. The younger ones probably held on to that stone, probably wanted to fling it, but realized they couldn't because no one else had. We have to be careful when we make accusations, even if we're a witness. We have to be careful of what our motives are. Romans chapter 2, verse 1 talks about righteous judgment. Therefore you are inexcusable, old man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Having sat on the board of a very large church, having sat in the meetings, having seen what religion does, I can tell you that's the truth. The religious spirit brings hypocrisy, brings destruction. Woman, where are these accusers of yours? Where are those accusers of yours? See, if they left, she never said a word. She doesn't speak until now. The Lord barely spoke a word. How many of us would be so quick to jump in and argue, to fight back, to want to defend ourselves? We have to let conviction take its work. We have to let the Spirit do what He's doing. Not everything's about us. There have been times I've gone before the Lord in prayer regarding a situation, whatever it might be, pleading with Him, asking Him to do certain things, and then finally hearing Him say, but this isn't about you. Oh, okay. He can be very very humbling at times. He asked the woman, has no one condemned you? 
She says, no one, Lord. Which is kind of obvious because she's still standing there. But, And he said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is the message of mercy and forgiveness balanced with a call to holy living. Both to let him who was without sin cast the first stone and go and sin no more have found a, a way into our language. The English idiomatic phrase to cast the first stone comes from this passage. But when he says, neither do I condemn you, he's saying, I forgive you. But he didn't condone her sin, did he? No, he said, go and sin no more. He assures her. He comforts her. He offers her grace and love, but then he offers her direction, which at this point I'm not sure she really needed. She's been humiliated. She's been dragged through town, out of the bedroom possibly. She's maybe in the in a bit of undress, and she's thrown in front of Yeshua, who's got a crowd of people around him. Now, he doesn't condone sin. But he offers you grace before he offers you judgment. He is forgiving because he understands the power behind this sin and who that power is. So here you have this woman. The conviction of what's going on, the conviction of the sin, the admiration for her her deliverer. I don't think he's her Messiah yet. We've heard various stories, but we really don't know who this woman is. But this is the first day of the rest of her life. But now I want to tell you what the Lord showed me about all this. All this has been the prelude. He didn't ask a woman, why are you doing what you're doing? Where were you doing it? He didn't do any of those things. You know what he dealt with? He dealt with the what. Stop doing what you're doing. Stop sinning. Go and sin no more. And we're so caught up in our society today to have excuses about why we do what we do. Well, it's my parents' fault. They did this to me. That's why I do what I do. I I tried that one. You know, my father walked out when I was six. That's why I did what I did. Rejection. And I'm not saying rejection isn't a root of a problem. But the issue is what? What I did. Stop doing it. Not why. Not where. Not with who. What? Choice. Free will. He was dealing with, at that moment, her choices and her free will, unless she was raped, unless she was forced into that situation, and the story doesn't say that. She made a choice to go into that room and climb into that bed. We make choices every day. 
whatever your besetting sin is, whatever it is that the enemy always uses to trip you up, stop doing it. Choose this day, as Joshua said in 24, uh, Joshua 24. Choose this day whom you serve. Is he Lord of your life? Are you born again? Then everything starts with what? Choose not to do whatever the what is. Isaiah 1 verse 18, Come now, says the Lord, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet. Excuse me, i got to take a drink here. I'm doing a little alfalfa routine in the middle of talking. Excuse me. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He wants to reason with you. He wants to heal you. He wants to set you free. Free will. Your choice. But he's helping you to see the better choice. See, right after this, the Pharisees come back at him. This is what he says. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He will give us eyes to see, to make the right choice. And the one thing I've learned about religion, religious spirits, people that have it are pretty blind. They're so busy looking at the speck in the other person's eye, they don't even notice the plank in their own. He will give us eyes to see, to make the right choice. That's what he was doing with the woman caught in adultery. And the interesting thing about John chapter 8, when you read it, and you listen, and you understand, it'll put you out of the rock-throwing business. It's very easy to be judgmental. It's very easy to see other people's sin and not see your own. The one thing I've learned along the way, when somebody has a specific sin that they have a pet peeve about, I usually wonder why. Is it your besetting sin, or are you afraid it will be? People that preach from the pulpit about one sin and one sin alone, there's an issue there. And I don't think it's that they're offended by the sin for the Lord. I think that there's something else going on. Makes you wonder about these Pharisees, religious men in power. Maybe they knew something. Maybe they were guilty of it. I don't know. But I will tell you this. The Lord brings conviction. When you come into his presence, something happens. But we cannot ignore the aspect of sin. 
It's a topic nobody wants to, well, not many people want to talk about. The word sin is mentioned 1,153 times in the New King James Version of the Bible. 54 times in Romans alone. The one chapter the world doesn't want you to preach out of. And many will say it's because it mentions a specific sin. But I think the reason the world hates Roman is, is it covers a lot more than that. It tells everybody that they're sinners. But we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Messiah Yeshua when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Right there in Romans three, twenty-three and 24, we do two things. We establish that we're sinners, and the only person that can set us free is Yeshua. For God presented Yeshua as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Yeshua sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. But once you're a believer, according to John 6, you're supposed to be dead to sin and alive to God. So now we have in Romans the conviction of the church, conviction of those who say that they're believers in Messiah from many of the different denominations and religions. It's no wonder the world doesn't like the book of Romans. The book of Romans is a mirror held up so that we can see ourselves. It attacks the concept of Of grace, grace, all is grace. Grace is available, but grace is not an excuse to sin. Shall we continue in sin as a habit? So to make God's gift of grace increase and overflow? Certainly not. How can we, the very ones who died to sin, continue to live in it any longer? Or are you ignorant of the fact that all of us who have been baptized into Messiah Yeshua were baptized into his death. We have therefore been buried with him through baptism into death. So just as Messiah was raised from the dead through the glory and power of the Father, we too might walk habitually in newness of life, abandoning abandoning our old ways. Sin's been done away with. It's not a choice anymore. But if you choose to sin, there is a price. We're back to the what. Stop doing what you're doing. Romans 7.20 says, If I'm doing the very thing I don't want to do, I'm no longer the one doing it. It's not me. It's the sin nature which lives in me. But if we're born again... If we've been set free by Messiah, we shouldn't be living in that sin nature. 
So it got me to thinking as he began to show this to me. We're so caught up in everything but the what. Oh, this is why I drink. This is why I screw around. This is why, this is why, this is why. And he's sitting there going, but what, what, what? Stop doing what you're doing. Our freedom begins when we acknowledge what we're doing is wrong. There is no excuse. So I began to imagine. began to imagine standing there when they bring this woman first thing in the morning and accuse her. Begin to wonder what's the crowd saying? What's the crowd doing? How are they reacting? I began to put myself in her place. How would I feel if somebody did that to me? And then watching and waiting. And he's ignoring them. He's not looking at the woman. He's looking at the ground. He's distracted by whatever he's writing in the dirt. And and then looking at the woman, how embarrassed she must be. Was there any compassion? Did somebody try to cover her up? Or were they cheering it on? Did they feel bad for her? We have a habit in our society of laughing when people trip and fall. See these videos, these horrendous videos that I cringe of people having accidents. And maybe nobody was badly hurt, but we're finding amusement in their failures. Religion, the scribes, the Pharisees, They're not interested in justice or righteousness, but in trapping the Lord to accuse him and in humiliating this woman. I know something about her in that moment has always touched me. She's made a mistake for whatever reason. Now everyone knows. The reason you do those things in behind closed doors is you really don't want people to know. And in that moment of brokenness, in that moment of embarrassment, he asks her a question. What if he were asking me, where are your accusers? I've thought about that. All the things I've done before I got saved, walking out on my wife and my son, finding out my wife was pregnant and not caring, leading people into the new age because of what it, what it was doing through me, the, the violence, the profanity, all the things that made up my old nature that I now cringe at. That even 33 years later, it still bothers me that in all the people that I convinced to use the crystals, one person did not recant. I'm hoping that whatever I said caused them later on to turn their back on it.
but it still gnaws at me. The things I did. Oh, yeah, I know I'm a new creation, but it was the what, what I did. What if he said to you, where are your accusers? What would you say? If he said, go and sin no more, what would you think? And began to make me wonder. And Larry and I, we pray almost every day. We talked about this. We've had pretty wild pasts. And periodically I bring it back up and I apologize to the Lord because I remember. At that moment, if you were in that crowd, would you be thinking and repenting of your individual sins? Everybody wants revival, but nobody wants to deal with the reason why we need revival. Everybody wants the hoo-ha and the lights and the mirrors and the sound and the speakers, and they want the, they want the celebration. They don't want the tears. They don't want the brokenness. They don't want to be shown that they're in the shadows. But I saw something more in this. He brought that woman into the light individually. And then he brought the, he tried to bring the Jews corporately into the light by saying that he was the light of the world. And he's taken us with him into the light, out of the darkness, away from the kingdom of darkness. But yet, like sheep, we go astray and we wander back. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm tired of the yo-yo of life. And we're all guilty of it. I don't care who you are. I don't care how anointed you are. I don't care what the Lord's done with you. We all live the yo-yo of life. We all deal with the flesh. We all deal with those things which try to come back to life and trip us up. But I, I, I guess what the, the core of tonight is, and I was just going to do this as a short porch light session, but being me, and I read scripture, and then I explain scripture, and the next thing I know... We're 47 minutes in. But really it all comes down to one question. What is your what? If you sat down with the Lord, said, show me that one area that is my what. What do I need to stop doing? Worse, am I like the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Do I have a religious spirit? I found that most people that have a religious spirit don't know that they have a religious spirit. There's nothing that repels me more. I've been attacked by it. I've seen the damage done by it. The church needs to start asking what? What offends you, Lord? What are we doing that you want to tell us to stop doing? 
So that's my assignment to you. It's to think about John chapter 8. Think about this woman. Think about everything that she went through. How would you feel? Would you feel bad for her? Would you try to help her? Apparently nobody did. Everybody left. What is your what? Lord, help us. We want to be better. We want to be better individually, and we want to be better corporately. You look at the book of Acts, Lord, they all had their what. But they pressed on. They overcame. They walked with you. They paid for it. Help us to stop paying for it. Help us to care more. Help us to look at the people caught in sin and caught in bondage. And rather than being repulsed, be broken hearted. Help us to be compassionate like you were to that woman. I'd like to believe she followed you, Lord. I'd like to believe some of the stories that she was among the women that tended to you, but I don't know. It doesn't say that. But you offered her grace. Help us to offer grace. You offered forgiveness. Help us to offer forgiveness. You offered mercy. Help us to make sure our mercy account is never empty. Lord, we need more of you. We need this example of you. And we're so thankful that they included it in the writings. We're thankful that they showed us this part of your nature. Your patience, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. But you also clarified, go and sin no more. That's what I pray right now. I pray that we can be more like you, that we can show this to the people out there that are like her, that are doing what they don't want to do because something in them makes it makes them do it. And even before deliverance, even before all the, the things we could do for them, they would choose not to do it anymore, to put it down, put down that cigarette, put down that bottle. Put down whatever it is that distracts you from living the life you're supposed to live. Put down whatever it is that keeps you from being what you want to be. Oh my goodness, Lord, we just need you. Holy Spirit, we need more. We need more. We need more of your nature. We need more of the Father. We need more of the Lord. I just pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, it's time, beyond time, to get serious. It's beyond time to start walking the walk that we talk. People have seen enough of the show. They've seen enough of religion. They've seen enough of what has been called church. It's time for us to be the church. 
It's time to set the captives free. It's time to lay hands on the sick so that they can recover. It's time to minister to the women and the men and the children, those out there that have a besetting sin that they've been humiliated by. And stop speaking judgment and start speaking love. Heal the wound. And then show them light, the light of life. Open their eyes. I pray that we would do it. I know I've resolved today after finishing this and spending time with the Lord that I want to be softer. I don't want to be so hardened in my zeal to serve him that I forget to be like him. I hope you do too. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.